Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Genesis Gems episode 79, where we'll be covering Streets of Rage 2. I am one of the hosts, Nick Stevens, and with me this time is... Aaron. Hey, guys. How's it going? And Aaron, how about you introduce our special guest? This is pretty exciting here. Yeah, so our special guest is Remute, all the way from... Let me get this right, from Berlin? Is that correct? No, from Hamburg. From Hamburg. Hamburg! Oh, you told me! Okay, I'm so sorry. You told me... It's Berlin time. It's Berlin. Berlin time. There you go. And I read online that you're from Hamburg, so I got the two confused, and I apologize. But, but Remute is a, a world-renowned DJ, uh, musician, been doing... You've released a ton of EPs and, and albums over, gosh, almost the past... 20 years and then um, I think as far as the Mega Drive community and Sega Genesis uh, we're aware of you now um, especially because you just dropped a new uh, Mega Drive album the first Mega Drive techno album on a cartridge right 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 yeah so uh, I've been making music since 2002, releasing a couple of records, releasing a couple of albums, but I think the, the most important step in my career so far was the Mega Drive album, because this is the album I always wanted to do, but um, but I couldn't do it technically, because um, I didn't have the software and the hardware for it, but um, and did you now use I'm really happy that I could do it. Yeah, uh, did, did you use something like Deflamask or... Yeah, yeah exactly. I've uh, written the whole album on Deflamask and then um, the files that, that were made with Deflamask got uh, converted into another Mega Drive playable format by my coding colleague uh, Kabuto. She coded a custom music player, the one that you can um, see and listen to in the, in the cartridge and um, yeah, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, it's it's uh, fascinating stuff because you usually don't see that level of detail. Uh, you know, I, I I know the process that goes into converting like a Deflamask file on like a Windows machine and then converting it to run as a, a ROM file. Yeah. On, on a system, but then taking it and then converting multiple files in, into almost like a playable album is, is something else. And then on top of that, you've got the amazing visuals from the, the minds of uh, the people yeah. over at uh, Titan who, who did one of the coolest uh, demos that I can think of. They did uh, Overdrive 2 about two years ago. And just blew everyone away at, at revision, and then you, you managed to snag some of those guys to do uh, visuals for for your I'm video really single. I'm really happy that I was able to work with these guys because they um, they can push the Mega Drive to its absolute. I think uh, buff is, is his limits, and uh, this is what is very fascinating for me that uh, these guys are like coding wizards and. Uh, I think they managed some fantastic stuff with the video and the player, and uh, really happy. Yeah, and if if you get a copy of the cartridge, and I think there's a preview on YouTube also, yeah. you get all the songs, and then I believe it's Red Eye, or Red Eyes, that uh, has a video that That's goes with. That's right. That's right. You get you get um, 14 songs on the cartridge, and two QR codes, the bonus tracks. 
and the video for Red Eyes that runs completely in real time. Nothing. Um, it's not a video. It's it's real time rendered, and um, yeah, it's it's a mixture of uh, full motion video and 3D animation. I yeah, so it's like you you don't see usually on a Mega Drive. No, I, I think I've only seen like that sort of like flat shaded polygons. I, I've seen it on a few Sega Genesis games, but not running that smoothly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we we also managed to squeeze the stuff into uh, four megabytes. Like you have the music, <laughs> oh, wow. the video. It's it's all in four megabytes. <laughs> it's not a very huge cartridge. That's great. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, guys, so, thank you all listeners. Real yeah. quick, we'll run through this and we'll get right into the interview. So, yeah. guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, you can find us. We are on a newly created network called the Bit Brothers Network at facebook.com slash group slash Bit Brothers. Check, check us out on the web at genesisgemspodcast.com. Uh, you can send us an email at genesisgemspodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to join the Patreon where we're at with the Bit Brothers, we will get these episodes ad-free a week early. Uh, go to patreon.com slash bitbros. You got to sign up for the four bit tier and you will get all these episodes ad free a week early. And if you don't want to pay for it, no big deal. It'll come out on uh, all of your favorite podcast apps uh, free of charge, but with ads. So uh, just want to get that out there. So we thank all the patrons out there who are donating. Thank you guys for sticking with us through this cool transition we're doing into the Bit Brothers Network. So wanted to get through that real quick so everyone knew where to find us. And uh, hey, let's just start this interview. Let's go for it. How about as another cool transition, since we're not doing our typical format, <laughs> why don't we lead in with Red Eyes from uh, Remute's new album. Uh, it's Technop... I'm going to butcher it because <laughs> I had it pulled up and it's a portamento of two different words. Techno-optimistic? It, yeah, techno-optimistic. <laughs> there you go. Got it. Awesome. So yeah, why don't we lead off with Red Eyes, and that's also going to be an upcoming single released on a floppy disk that you can buy as well. Yeah. So guys, we'll cut to that now. I hope you all enjoy this.
welcome back guys thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed that track from remute so we have remute here for a special very special episode because we're going to be covering streets of rage 2 which um whenever remute he, he joined our group and i i think we asked him what his favorite <laughs> game on the mega drive was on the sega genesis and he said it was streets of rage 2 so i thought it'd be awesome to have him on the show and I guess let's let's take a step back. We'll get into the Mega Drive talk and Streets of Rage 2 stuff. But I guess let's start with Remute. What what are some of your earliest childhood memories of I guess playing video games and what what got you into electronic music? Okay, okay. Um I think I have to look back very <clears throat> couple of years. <laughs> Just a couple. <laughs> uh, I got my first uh, home computer when I was uh, five years old. My parents uh, gave me a Commodore C64. And um, I think this this was my entry point into, into gaming and into uh, computer stuff at all. And um, So my earliest memories of sound and uh, gaming are linked with the C64 with the SID sound, and um, I still would consider the SID chip of the C64 amongst my favorites because um, I think that's um, the thing I got first introduced into electronic music. Because, uh, as we all know, the music of the C64 sounds very electronic. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very warm. I love <laughs> it, yeah, very warm. And uh, so from this point, I got further into into other stuff like the Nintendo Entertainment System, the Game Boy, and um, <clears throat> right, you know, the the, um, the 16-bit consoles of that era. And uh, I think, but uh, the most important uh, experience regarding sound was when I heard this, the music of uh, Streets of Rage 2 when I was <laughs> nine years old. That sort of dragged me into the to the whole Mega Drive thing. But before that, I was more into Super Nintendo. I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> but uh, I think it was uh, especially Streets of Rage 2 that uh, got me attracted to the Mega Drive and especially the music of the Mega Drive because it was so different from from the from the sound that I I was uh, used from the C64 or. The Super Nintendo, Super Nintendo has a very um, CD audio-like sound. It, it mimics natural instruments, and um, but um, the Mega Drive is a whole different story. It's it's really, I think that was the definition of techno and and uh, early house music for me from the nineties. Yeah, and I thought it was really neat that you know you had a like a heavy basis in like rolling 909 drums yeah 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 this was and that very, was a very key sound very right radical. it was very very radical for me back then because uh, as a nine-year-old i okay i i wasn't into clubbing and into, uh, <laughs> into music yeah. at all but um when i heard this uh, i was like um i want to make the music like this yeah, and and so were you? I think Nick had this question also. Were there any musical instruments that you grew up learning to play by that point? Yeah, I had I had keyboard lessons, and um, I think I'm an okay keyboard player. But I think 
right now I would consider myself more as a music programmer than as a musician because I I write my music and uh, don't play it. I write it. So, like, if you're using, because uh, I I know I've read interviews where you use trackers early on. Uh, so, do you have like a keyboard set out and then it hooked up by MIDI, or or do you do it like the hardcore way where you're punching in the notes on your, you know, on your keyboard directly? Yeah, I think I think I do I do both. Um, Sometimes I uh, play some melodies on the keyboard and then um, get inspired by it and then punch the notes later on into the computer and sometimes the other way around. But um, that's right. I, I really started early with trackers. I think, yeah, what, uh, uh, what trackers were you using at first? I think uh, the first trackers I used were when I got my first uh, PC when I was 13 years old. I think that this this was the time when I started making music. Also, it was a wide mixture of, of freeware and shareware trackers that were uh, available on some demo demo CDs on some computer magazines. <laughs> and, uh, so it was an amazing time to have all this free software as a as a teenager, as a growing up <laughs> teenager, and um, <clears throat> experimenting and uh, stuff like that. And um, so from this, um, I built. I bought my first um, synthesizers then also when I was uh, around 15 or 16 years old. Um, but uh, let's say I started with trackers, yeah. This yeah. was uh, the, the first entry level for me and um, I still I still use trackers. Yeah, uh, and I think if people don't know, uh, trackers allow you to play back samples of different links yeah. and then you can yeah. pitch them. And this all originated with the Amiga, the Commodore Amiga, which was a started out as like a four-channel tracker, basically. Right, right, right. And this was, uh, yeah, this was a very capable sampler, actually. Yeah. Right. Uh, Instead of having to go buy an uh, expensive Akai, yeah, like a yeah, yeah, samplers back then were very, very expensive. I think. Okay, right now you can get uh, hardware samplers for 50 bucks, but uh, <laughs> back then in the, in the 90s, samplers were like 5,000 bucks and um, wow. not so affordable for a teenager. And uh, So that's why I used uh, trackers, because they were very capable samplers too. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm going to run down a few trackers real quick to see if you use them. Uh, so ProTracker. Probably. Yeah, I think uh, I've used ProTracker a bit later on. I first got a PC and then got an. Uh, oh, okay, that's right. You said PC. Yeah, but so what about uh? Right, right. I use Impulse Tracker and stuff like that. Yeah, Impulse uh, Fast Tracker too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe even Jeskola Buzz. I don't know. That's that's one of the first ones I've I ever. I've used had. I've used I've used Buzz also a bit later when I got into the uh, digital audio workstation stuff and um, but. I think the first things were fast tracker and the pulse tracker. Yeah, and that's. I think it was around 2000 or so when I first touched a tracker, and it just blew me away that there was this <laughs> free software out there, and you could yeah. put it in any sample you want. You could go online, and it, amazingly enough, I had a, a cable modem, so I had fast <laughs> internet. In oh wow! Right. So I just grabbed as many keyboard samples. Like, oh look, I can grab samples from a Moog, I can grab samples from, you know, uh, an Ensonic, uh, Commodore 64. 
Yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, uh, this was a very, very amazing time for for um, for working with samples because uh, it felt so special to to grab the sound from the slow internet and uh, download it <laughs> for hours and and then being finally able to use it and um, so yeah that's I, I've grown up with um, with slow internet yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes I think I, I, I think uh, I, I could probably speak for Nick I, we, we both had slow internet for oh, yeah, most yeah, of yeah. Our, and well, we had um, I don't know what you guys had over there but we had America Online just you know 6k modem uh, and there were slower speeds that before that like I had a, a Saturn Netlink which was <laughs> that was my first internet. It was the Sega Saturn Netlink, and I want to say it was 28. Nice, nice. We had also uh, we had CompuServe. I don't know if you know. Yeah, you know yeah, we had CompuServe. Yeah, we had CompuServe, and okay, also uh, I think a uh, 33.6k modem. Yeah, oh wow! Very slow, very slow. And, uh, so <laughs> surfing the internet was. Uh, Amazingly slow, but um, somehow very re- rewarding if you get um, <laughs> if you get the stuff downloaded in the end, and um, yeah. it's very special. It was always amazing that I- if I could connect to anybody and play an online game <laughs> with those slow speeds. Oh speed, my gosh! Yeah, I remember playing. It was a Duke Nukem 3D <laughs> at those speeds, and somehow it still worked. I mean, sometimes the other characters would glitch out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'd have yeah. massive ping issues, but I remember playing like Dude Nukem 3D and I think Quake and stuff. Like that. Yeah, I, I I remember calling I mean, my book. I mean, call even, even browsing even browsing forums and stuff like yeah. that was yeah. amazingly <laughs> but, slow, but it worked. <laughs> but and this was another another part of my childhood, which I know was part of yours, was that this was before the MP3 age. This it was right. sort of before you could go listen to whatever you want streaming and yeah. so what i did and i'm sure what you did was you went to these websites that had these really tiny mod files absolutely absolutely i think the 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 tracker formats like like mod were the thing that was around before mp3 because uh, before mp3 we had uh, huge wave files and stuff like that and um this was it wasn't um possible to download this in, in hours yeah <laughs> right so, so we had mod files uh, that were so tiny that you can that you could download it with um with with 50 56 gay modems and uh this was the dominant music format in, in the mid 90s <laughs> and i guess yeah. what what made them so small was that they just had a series of samples, yeah, and then yeah. it had instructions that the computer would read to play back the music, and right. that's why it's so tiny. Right, right. So I always explain to some guys that don't know it about it, mod files or something like MIDI files with an attached sampler. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> this, is a, <laughs> this is a very simple uh, explanation. That's what they are. And uh, that's that's what, what is fascinating about it, because they... S- can sound really good, and um, yeah, they got. It's really just a, if if you're a good composer and you and yeah. you know how to use these sounds correctly. There are so many great examples of Amiga mod, like four channel mods, and then yeah. getting to yeah, DOS exactly. modules, where you know you go to sixteen channels or thirty two channels, or you see like soundtracks, like um, uh, I'm trying to think Unreal. 
Spike Lee's one, just so yes. so good. It was, yeah, sample based. That's right. That's right. And um, so um, the mod files were something like I was very into it, and I built built myself some some collections on floppy disk, and uh, I still have these collections. Oh, that's awesome! So, like, I I know that a lot of these sample packs you could get them like there were there were a series of sample packs that people use on the Amiga uh, and got traded around. Yeah, exactly. On. I think some samples were used over and over. You can hear that in some early mod files, and um, but I think that was a charming thing because uh, in the in the early techno scene of the '90s, also some samples were used by various producers. If you listen to uh, early rave sound of the '90s, you can hear uh, some steps and some vocal files and various tracks, and uh, I think that made it so charming. This uh, this uh, this constant exchange of samples. And, uh, and I, I, I was just thinking about it that it, almost the difference between the sound of the '80s and the '90s was the prevalence of more vocal samples, the switch over to like the 909 drum machine. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just I much heavier the, sample use, especially. Yeah, the sampling got very popular in the early '90s, and uh, the way you can you can work with samples this, this is um, this is something you can hear also in early early techno music from um, if you listen to early techno music from 91 you hear almost only sample based stuff and this is what's very interesting for me yeah and and so I guess going to your own music uh, yeah. I think I'd read that you'd, you'd started making or releasing albums about the time you hit you were about 18 or so yeah, yeah. I got my first record out when I was uh, 18, yeah, in 2002, or maybe 19, or maybe 18. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> One of those. Uh, I was in school still, <laughs> so okay. And uh, my first record came out in 2002. It was uh, called Hypno Console. And uh, of course, it was also very, uh, very much inspired by video gaming and uh, computers, but. Um, I think still it was a classic techno record with lots of samples, and uh, I didn't use the consoles back then to produce music. It was produced on um, classic equipment like samplers and uh, digital audio workstations. And, uh, so the difference to today was like uh, back then I, I was sampling game consoles and video games, and uh, today I'm able to make music on consoles. And I think the difference too is that the the tools. I mean, what we have now is so much easier to use than what people had to actually make music on, like the NES or Sega Genesis, where they had to program it by hand and yeah. you know, like by hex. I had a real, real interesting question. I know being a musician, I, I write some music too, and, and sometimes I get influenced from just strange genres. Like I'm more of a hard, I'm more of a hard rock guy, but I'll listen to like a pop or rap song and just okay. just just hear a melody, just kind of catch me. Is there anything like that for you when you write music? Do you ever get influenced from just a strange source of a different kind of genre that you usually don't, you know? Absolutely, like, absolutely. Yeah. I think I, I, I'm listening to music of all genres. And every every style of music can have some interesting ideas. Absolutely, and um, I I, uh, I download the ideas from various kinds of music and make my own thing. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's cool. That's cool. Is there any uh, any artists in particular that you really like to uh, get that influence from? I think uh, it's not it's not the artist itself. I think it's it's more the technology I get mm-hmm. influence from when I buy a new synthesizer or when I buy a new piece of software. Uh, I get deeply into it and then tinker with it, and this is where I get my most inspiration by by doing stuff with uh, with technology. And yeah. You said you put out your first album back in like what 2002 you said? Yeah, this was yeah. my first record in 2002. And from then on I released regularly regularly some some other records on contemporary uh, techno labels. For example, like uh, Trezor Records from from Berlin. Yeah. I think that's this is where, where, where most people get the Berlin connection from. Most people <laughs> think I'm from Berlin, but I'm not, because I released once a uh, very popular record on Trezor Records. Trezor is a very popular club in Berlin, still goes on, and um, very influential, very, very good club. And this was a very important record for me I did in 2009, 2009 on this label. And... But I think the turning point in my music career was um, getting, setting up my own label in 2008. And um, that allowed me to um, to be very free with some stuff. Like I, I wasn't able to... Uh, I think some, some labels back then had some, some, some boundaries. Yeah, They always wanted to, to tell you what to do and what not to do yeah. and how how a track has to sound and uh, Dennis can you make this can you make that and uh, I was really fed up with this and uh, so I got my own label set up and put out some few some few records and um, so now in 2019 I'm putting out cartridges yeah that's so cool <laughs> yeah I, I, I think the the modern day technology is making it much easier for artists to to uh, to take their their thoughts and put them put them you know like even when i play guitar i can actually there's so much more software out there that i can record myself now it's not quite that studio sound but like it's so much better than when i first started playing guitar in the late 90s and i had nothing to record with now it's just you got these interfaces yeah exactly i had had one of those little boss four tracks but uh it makes it so i have an ipad where i just plug in and i can get every amp sound i need and i can put drums behind it and so so neat to do that it's amazing i think we live in very amazing times for independent musicians because uh nobody nobody is stopping you anymore yeah, yeah. i think uh, in in the early 2000s or in the, in the 90s you had um sorts of gatekeepers that were like um that were needed to to make a break in the music industry and uh, so like if you if you weren't on a label you were you you weren't able to put out music yeah, yeah. but today you, you can just upload it on bandcamp or yeah. itunes and you have it yeah that's exactly right and yeah, I think it's amazing. There's much more of a, a bedroom musician scene or, or, or a sort of thing where you don't necessarily have to be on a big label anymore to have a good following as long That's as right. Right. you can have organic growth. Just You, know, you can have word of mouth uh, and, and people yeah. just spreading your music all over the place <laughs> online. That's right. That's right. That's amazing because... Uh, Back then, it wasn't that easy, and uh, you had to work with a lot of people, with a lot of networks, and uh, it was very complicated. But right now, it's just like, upload your music on Bandcamp, and here we go. 
Yeah, and I, I love Bandcamp. That's like been my favorite out of all the platforms I've used. You know, I've used like DistroKid to get everything out yeah, on yeah, the iTunes yeah. and the Spotify, but like Bandcamp's the one I go back to because I feel like they support they support artists the most. I feel like absolutely, it's the most uh, amazing shop I've ever worked with, and uh, actually, no other shop would make it possible for me to sell uh, cartridges because they <laughs> it can't right. fit in their, in their stupid systems. Like, <laughs> you can't sell cartridges on iTunes. Or- Stuff like that, and uh, Bandcamp really allows an, an artist to be as much creative as he likes, and this is what makes it very amazing. And um, so, this is the first uh, platform where I think that an artist can express himself hundred percent. And um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I've I've released uh, cassette tapes through Bandcamp, and it, yeah. it's just I love that even if there's a format. If there's a format that you're trying to include on your album and they don't have it, uh, you can actually contact them and they'll add it. That's <laughs> I've right. I've seen that before. I wanted to include, I think, my Deflamask source files and they didn't <laughs> have it in their system. And so I just told them what they were and they said, okay, well, we'll add it. <laughs> That's the amazing thing about it. They are very uh, open-minded and... Uh, as I said, this is the best shopping solution I've ever worked with, and uh, I don't need any others anymore. That's awesome. So I, I think we'll ask you just a, a few more questions, and then we'll, yeah. we'll probably jump into the the main game. Uh, right. Yeah, so I, I think I wanted to focus a little more on the album. Jump back to the album real quick. Um, not the first thing, first album you've released on physical media because you released a album i think in 2017 that that was uh released on uh floppy disk correct that's right that's right i think uh yeah in 2017 i released uh, my album limited this was a hybrid release of uh, vinyl and uh, floppy disk and um so this was a kind of first step towards generate towards making more uh, real-time generated music because uh, this is what fascinates me the, the last couple of years I think um, yeah real-time generated music was was around like from from the very beginning of electronic music like uh, from from the 80s and uh, when actually when you didn't get uh, the possibility to share CD audio via, via internet, we had to work with uh, real-time generated music because it was very tiny and could be shared with uh, 50k 50k modems. Yeah, and um, so I think I want to bring back real-time generated music to the electronic music scene. And limited was a very uh, was the very uh, beginning of my mission to put out more real-time generated music so i think this was this this led to techno optimistic yeah and and what was your writing process for this album did you start writing it just straight in death messing with different patches or did you take to your keyboard or something else or, or maybe start in a doll and get ideas there and then transfer mm. them over i think for some tracks i I got some ideas I played on my keyboard and then transferred it into Defumas. But I think for the most part of the album, I 
I just written it in Devil Mask and uh, played it there. Yeah. And I noticed like there's a whole bunch of uh, vocoder samples, and I was wondering how you made those. <laughs> That's right. Um, these were samples made with uh, with a Roland vocoder. I've recorded this into a digital audio workstation, and then I converted the files into 8-bit and into mono, because uh, after all, a Mega Drive cartridge doesn't have so much. <laughs> right. And you had to convert I, it down a bit. I converted it a bit down, and um, but I think they still sound good. Oh, they're, they're pretty clear, I, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty clear, and then I transferred it into Devil Mask, because in Devil Mask, uh, the Mega Drive allows for one channel of, um, of PCM, and uh, so I've included some some samples here and there in the Mega Drive album. Yeah, and and for people who don't know, vocoder is when you combine the sound of an instrument with someone's voice, similar to like if you ever hear the beginning of Sonic the Hedgehog, it, it's vocoder. <laughs> yeah. Where they say it's like Sega. That's it's like a robot that sings. <laughs> right. <laughs> Now, uh, I've made plenty of Sega Genesis Mega Drive music, and I know there were a few tracks where I would get frustrated that, you know, I only had one channel for samples. And so sometimes what I would do is I would double up the sample. Did you ever layer any samples so you could get like, oh, I want to have a kick drum here, but I also want a snare or I want... Right. A crash. Exactly, what, you could buy two sounds together. Yeah, exactly what I was doing with some tracks and uh, from my album because, uh, as you said, uh, you can just play one sample at a time. But um, some samples I've mixed down. Like when you when you, when, when you want to use the bass drum and the snare together, you have to mix it down first into another software and then import it into <laughs> the one channel. And this is exactly what I was doing with some tracks. And, uh, and I also used some drum loops here and there yeah. that were layered in another piece of software. And, uh, well, the Mega Drive is a very bad sampler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's why, like, uh, well, yeah, most commercial games, except for maybe, like, Megaturk and in a few other games, the samples usually turn out pretty scratchy, and it's it has to do with how much memory's left over. Right. Right. Uh, it has to do with just some of the constraints of the system. You can get pretty clean samples out, but at the expense of taking up right. some CPU cycles <laughs> that right. might be needed for at something expense, else. At the expense of uh, of storage space, which was very expensive back in the days when you had. Uh, the whole uh, megabits. <laughs> I think some some games are very uh, like Street Fighter Two. They had I think forty megabits or something like that. Yeah, the Streets of Rage Two had like four times the amount of space that the yeah. first Streets of Rage game yeah. had. And um, so, I think that was the reason why why the most games didn't use so much samples at all because in the end it was very expensive to get this uh, this, these chips for that and. Um, so let's say the the Megadrive is a very good synthesizer, but a very bad sampler. And uh, <laughs> but it's okay. It's it's an it's an amazing synthesizer. Yeah, and if if you take it on its own, if you're not trying to, uh, you know, n- now we don't have as many constraints, and people can make larger cartridges and and yeah. more space for samples. But um, yeah, I I I I agree with you. If if you compare 
Sega Genesis games or Mega Drive games port you know that were ported to that system and then ports that were on the Super Nintendo nine out of ten times the samples sounded better on the SNES just because that's, that's right. what SNES was made for was sample playback on multiple channels yeah yeah but uh, have you heard uh, oh sorry I was just gonna no say problem, no problem. Uh, so if you heard Games like um, like Earth Earthworm Jim or there's Global Gladiators where like uh, Tommy Tallarico <laughs> would make whole tracks where it was just using the sample channel, and yeah. so <laughs> and so like he'd make these little uh, there's there's one track in in this McDonald's game called Global Gladiators, <laughs> and it's the silliest song because he wrote the whole song just using <laughs> the one sample channel of the Sega Genesis. Uh, you mean the, the intro track from the from the title screen, yeah? With the yeah, movie. where it's like amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, cool. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> cool. And then like you hear the electric guitar, or there was um, there was a game called Skitchen, which oh, yeah. had uh, the the soundtrack was sort of reminiscent of uh, Pantera, and you know <laughs> heavy metal bands of the day, and that one was unique because. They were able to code in multiple channels with sample playback. So there were four channels of sample playback. And what I think they did was similar to what happened in Toy Story, I think, where it was where they were able to divide the one sample channel into like one channel and then three virtual channels or something like that. Yeah, something crazy. I've read about, I've read about, I think uh, the thing with Toy Story is this. Uh, this game got a built-in mod player for the yes. right? uh, <laughs> you so, can act, uh, yeah it's it's actually possible i don't know how but it, it seems to be possible it would be very interesting to to have a, a standalone mod player for the mega drive if somebody would code that uh, would i think amazing. there's one for the 32x right yeah Funny enough but uh i i could go on so many tangents here <laughs> but I, I think what i want to say is people you should go Check out Remute's new album. He's also got a new single coming out. If you go to his Bandcamp, we'll have links to it. Yeah, they'll be all over the show notes for sure. Oh yeah, and and if you can, uh, we'll have a link to the the video running on an actual Mega Drive. Uh, his music video for Red Eyes, which you should definitely check out. It's got visuals that are reminiscent of Star Fox, but running faster <laughs> than Star Fox. <laughs> right. So yeah, I got we, I got to watch I, that uh, a couple days ago, and I really enjoyed that. That was so cool. Yes. Um, so Nick, did you have any more questions? For- I I had w- one question. It's kind of a it's kind of a uh, question I kind of want to ask for myself. And Aaron, you probably answer this too. But uh, since uh, you know I'm a musician, but I've never really delved into the chiptune space or the kind of electronic space what's the best entry level thing for me like i downloaded sid tracker on my ipad and messed around with it for a little while and didn't get much uh much out of it but uh is there like a good entry level for some for a musician to get into this kind of music i think i would recommend devil mask because it has a variety of possibilities you can make music for the c64 you can make music for the nintendo entertainment system for the pc engine for um for other stuff and I think this is a very good entry software because it's also still free and uh, I think the usability is very good it's very um, you can it doesn't have a steep learning curve you can 
you can use it pretty well. This is very my recommendation. Use Stefan Mask. Yeah. And <laughs> and if you if, if you can't get your head around trackers, Nick, uh, and you want something that sounds good enough, um, and that is almost free, uh, <laughs> there's also things like Ali James FM drive. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you ever used that? Uh, so that, that's a VST. So if you're if you're using a DAW, Nick, I don't know uh, what, if you're always on the iPad, but if you're on the computer, uh, FM drive costs about ten dollars, and you get the sounds of the Mega Drive, and then he's got one called Super PSG. Um, I'm kind of a use the right tool for the right job type of guy. Gotcha. So if there's, uh, if you want to get into into trackers, then yeah, I would I would say Deflamask is is the way to go because you can tinker around with different sounds. There's a mobile version of it, but um, learning chip tune and then learning trackers, um, like that that can be a steep learning curve in itself, and I get that. That's right. I think trackers are somehow linked to chip tune because uh, the whole real time generated stuff is it's very um, the thing for chip tunes, and uh, they are very linked together. Trackers and chip tunes. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think we'll go ahead and jump into. We'll we'll transition into Streets of Rage <laughs> talk. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this um, is this, I'm super excited. So this is how we do this. We always say, uh, "Hey, game on, Aaron." Game on, Nick. Game on, remute. Game on. Alright, so we're going to dive right into Streets of Rage 2, and, and guys, I am so excited about this episode. When Aaron mentioned that uh, we were going to cover this, uh, I got pretty excited because this is one of those games that kind of shaped my childhood, and, and by that I mean it was the very first game I ever played for the Sega Genesis. Um, kid down the street, he was uh, my best friend growing up, and uh, he had a Sega, and he just got it. So we both had Super Nintendos, and I never, I never really even heard of a Sega Genesis. So I remember, I remember spending the night with him, and uh, he had Streets of Rage 2. It's the very first game I ever played on the console, and uh, he had a, a three-button Sega controller, but he also had an arcade stick, and uh, he let me use the arcade stick. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, picking Skate for the first time, and and having a guy on rollerblades, which we were all rollerblading at the same time too. So I got this cool, cool hip kid rollerblading, and I'm beating up like these bad guys, and, and I'm just loving it because. Growing up, growing up with games with like River City Ransom and Double Dragon and Renegade and games like that, that I love the beat 'em up style. But this game just totally blew those out of the water, and I, I was just so amazed that this was on a home console. It was like playing at the arcade, and uh, you know, as I as I started playing more, I realized I enjoyed playing with Axel and Blaze even more than Skate. But it was just, it was just that that time. And then, um, yeah, at the time, I think I was probably seven or eight years old when I first played this game. And uh, I wasn't I wasn't really a musician at the time. Uh, I enjoyed music. My dad was a musician. My grandpa was a musician. But uh, I started hearing these tunes in this in this in this game, and I'm like, man, that that's cool. I like the, I like the way that sounds. And I and I never until that point I never really appreciated video game music. I heard it. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the Mario tune. I enjoyed some of the other stuff. But when I actually heard that, I'm like, there's something behind this that I really enjoy. But uh, the memory of Streets of Rage 2 just it it blows my mind. I, I can I can 
relive that memory every every time I see the uh, Streets of Rage 2 cover or hear that music or just any of the uh, any of the sound effects that that I hear it just bam pops back to this uh, one of my best Grand Upper yeah Grand Upper <laughs> Grand Papa that's what I, that's what I hear Grand Papa so I I could go on and on with memories but I I, I think it's a, this is a great point of the show where we all just kind of talk about our memories of playing Streets of Rage 2 you guys have memories similar to that. My memories are actually pretty similar to your memories. It's very interesting because um, <laughs> I was uh, very much into the Super Nintendo before that and um, actually in general uh, more into Nintendo stuff before that and um, Streets of Rage really got me into the Mega Drive because um, I think the gameplay was something like like I didn't uh, I didn't experience before because uh, it was very it, it was like playing an arcade game yeah but um, in your home and um, the whole gameplay was so well balanced it still is today mm-hmm. when you play it it's 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 didn't aged bad and uh, it's very timeless and um, it's still fun and back then this really got me into the Mega Drive because um, because uh, beat-em-up games weren't that good on the Nintendo Entertainment System or the Super Nintendo. I think this was a, a time before Street Fighter 2, I think. And, um, yeah, this was right right around then. I, th- I yeah. think this was... 1993. Right out, yeah, yeah, right. I think right after Street Fighter 2 might have come out. And I, I think this game was initially planned to, to be more like... I think Sega yeah. wanted something that was more like Street Fighter 2. Okay. And so that's why the dual mode came into play, where it was like, okay, we have to have a fighting mode in the game. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly like uh, like Nick already mentioned, uh, before Streets of Rage 2, uh, I was playing beaten up games like Double Dragon and stuff like that, that were gameplay-wise not so, so well-balanced <laughs> like Streets of Rage 2. And um, playing Streets of Rage 2 was like a very interesting gameplay experience that was only possible for me at the time on the Mega Drive, and um, yeah, I was blown away by, by the with the gameplay, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was sort of the the whole package. And I remember around the same time, uh, we were that weird family that had a Super Nintendo and a Sega Genesis. <laughs> You're the lucky time. kids on the block, <laughs> and and well, I came from a large family. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I had cool. older brothers that worked. They were, you know, old enough. They had jobs, so they could bring home these systems. Or, you know, I, I think uh, I remember us getting a, a Sega CD under the the tree one year, <laughs> well, uh, okay. under the Christmas tree, and, and so that, that was my first exposure to Streets of Rage because it wasn't in the arcade. And I thought for the longest time, I thought these were arcade games that were ported <laughs> to the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive, and I didn't realize that they were home games that just started out. But I was the same way I'd played stuff. I, I really enjoyed stuff on the Super Nintendo. And I remember playing Final Fight, and I liked it. And that's sort of how Streets of Rage came to be. Yeah. Because they're sort of similar. Same plot, basically. <laughs> a, a, yeah. a gang takes over the city multiple times. Um, but yeah, as a kid, I was just so so captivated by the sounds and the environment and and this sort of neo-futuristic vibe yeah, yeah, yeah. going on. And also, I think the biggest change from Final Fight was Final Fight was much more of a daytime game, right? 
where it took place during okay. the day. And then Streets of Rage had this gritty <laughs> nighttime feel to it that I loved. And the music reflected that. Yeah. And it felt I almost think, dangerous. I think, I think the, the most interesting part for me was uh, the contrast between the, the happy happy rave sound and the fact you beat up people. <laughs> yes. And, uh, it's still something that amazed me today because uh, the music is actually very happy in Streets of Rage too, and uh, I think beating up people is not so happy. And, <laughs> 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 and so this is something this is this is very amazing. One of those interesting con contrasts for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It's one of the 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 few games that uh, my siblings wouldn't fight me to play because it's one of those games we could play together. Exactly. And it's a great, great co-op game, except unlike some beat-em-ups, there's no mode where you can make sure you don't hurt each other, so you got to <laughs> stay apart from each other. Uh, uh, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. You, so, can, you, yeah. Can, you can beat up your best friend there. And, yep. Uh, <laughs> this was something that we were doing back in the days, like we, we were just spending time beating up and beating up each other and not the enemies. <laughs> and this is this is the that's the whole reason my six year old son would rather play Ninja Turtles than this one because we always accidentally <laughs> hit each other. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I, I keep trying to convince I keep trying to convince him Streets of Rage is a better game, but uh, uh, he, he he likes the Ninja Turtles because you know we're not hurting each other. <laughs> yeah, I, I played it uh, with my five year old last night and she really enjoyed it and then like her attention span i think it was because my other daughter put something on the on the big screen tv and she's like okay daddy i'm gonna focus on this so she just like stopped playing i'm like no we're so close to the end <laughs> but it's great because you, you can put it on the easiest difficulty and my five-year-old picked up the combos he was playing his blaze she yeah, understood cool. how she like She's five, and she knew how to, to land. If someone threw her, she knew how to land from that and not get oh, wow. hurt. And she also learned the... Uh, the so the, it's two things that carried over from Streets of Rage 1, which was the being able to land from being thrown, which I hadn't seen in any other beat-em-up games or belt scrollers, whatever. And then the other thing was being able to kick or punch behind you. Which yeah. is something that like that Double Dragon or Double Dragon Two would do, but in this game, like I didn't, I don't remember if if I knew I could do that the whole time. Yeah, and and I, I liked it better in this than Double Dragon because I remember playing Double Dragon Two on Nintendo, and I think it was like A would f hit in front of you and B would hit behind you or vice versa, but depending on what yeah. direction you were. Yeah, facing, yeah, and with with Streets of Rage, you just kind of hit uh, B and C, and it, it you know kind of I don't know with Axel, you kind of like do a back fist and. Um, with Blaze, you kind of do like a, like a low spin kick, but uh, that was that's a heck of a heck of a move when you're starting to get you know um, teamed up on from I the think, other side. I think the the side scrolling beat 'em ups like um, Double Dragon felt very clumsy mm -hmm. compared yes. to uh, yeah compared to Streets of Rage 2 and also Final Fight. And uh, I think the style of Final Fight and Streets of Rage 2 was really an improvement to the side scrolling yeah. beat 'em up genre and. Um, I still think that um, these games were the next big step for the genre and yeah. um, defined them and um, still hold up very well today. Yeah, there's just a lot of uh, things that tie together the sequel. It's one of the best sequels on the Mega Drive. It's an, an improvement on every level, I think. Um, yeah. The yes. graphics were better, the gameplay was better, and 
I think the music was better and everything was improved and this is the way you make a sequel. And yeah, then, yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually played this one before the first one, of course, from my story. So going back to the first game, I was just kind of like, yeah. But uh, as I got a little older, I, I started to appreciate it a little, it a little more bit more. Stiff, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's still good. good it's still yeah, good. It's, it's just a little more stiff, and it the I would say the scrolling's not quite as smooth. Yeah. And the amount of options, as far as like two adds like a double dash, it adds on on screen special moves, which. Okay, the first 15, 20 times in Streets of Rage 1, it's the nice to car. call the cops <laughs> and have them shoot like a flamethrower thing that magically doesn't hurt you. That's great. Yeah. But after a while, you just want something like a cool little special move you can, yeah. you can do right there. I always ask myself, um, why is Robocop in Streets of Rage? <laughs> yeah. Why is that? How no, did they come Two is like, wh- how did HR Geiger get in my game? You know, on the alien stuff. That's funny. Well, yeah, and like, like, uh, like the yeah. co- the cop car showing inside of a building on Street Rage One. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, oh, I love that where you get to like blast blast. You're like, wait, how did it get in the? Like, I just rode like an elevator like 50 stories up, and then <laughs> I don't know how this works. Yeah. No. Yep. Just a real quick rundown of the game uh, we usually go over here. Uh, this game was released in 1993 for the Genesis, published by Sega, developed by Ancient Company. Uh, it was released on a ton of platforms, just to go down on real quick. Android, Arcade, Game Gear, Genesis, iPhone, Linux, Macintosh, 3DS, PlayStation 3, Master System, Wii, Windows, Xbox 360, just to name a few. Um, if you want to pick this game up today, as of uh, May of 2019... Uh, the cartridge runs about twenty dollars, and the complete box uh, with the manual and everything is about fifty-two dollars. Now, luckily, I didn't get rid of this game as a kid. I, I have my original copy from when I was a kid, so I got the whole complete box set. I had no clue it was going for fifty-some dollars uh, until I looked it up here a little bit ago. How how much does it go over in Germany? It's very um, similar. I think um, I've saw I saw a complete box copy for for fifty euros. Yeah. Uh, the prices for Mega Drive games are going up pretty quickly. It's uh, interesting to watch this, and yeah. um, I think this is the. You can, this applies to all retro stuff. It, it goes up in prices really quickly, and um, interesting market. Uh, interesting. I still have my copy from from back from my childhood from Citrovates yeah. too, and uh, unfortunately, it's not complete in box, but. Um, <laughs> It's a good cartridge, and um, yeah. I'm happy that I, I've kept this. I'm sort of surprised that, that Sega let someone else develop the game. <laughs> like, you would think that that Sega would uh, say, okay, this is an in-house game, you know, we made the first one, yeah. we're going to make the second one, but Yuzo... I was going to say, I, I left out the most important credit there, didn't I? <laughs> Yeah, well, he didn't do all the music in this game, but he did all the music in the first game, uh, and then most of it in this game, uh, along with uh, another composer who is... uh, uh, I almost had it. Let me pull him up, because I always forget. And and he's always forgotten, but he has very important work in this game. It's Motuhiro Kawashima. And uh, yeah. he, right, right, right. he contributes a lot more of the more hard-driving techno tracks in, in this game. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, did you saw a, a live gig from them? The, the yes. For, for the Red Bull Music Academy, I think, in Tokyo. Yes. I, I watched the whole thing. It was amazing. Yeah, cool. it's an amazing live show they made. And um, I think they were a very good team still now and back then. And um, they made amazing stuff, yeah. Yeah, so uh, before I guess before we get into the music more, uh, going into to Ancient, it's that company has an interesting history because it's comprised, it, it was comprised of Yuzo Koshiro on music and then his sister Ayane Koshiro, who did the programming uh, and did the artwork, and then his mom, who I think helped with production. <laughs> So it's an interesting family team, and uh, they, they worked on 8-bit ports of like Sonic the Hedgehog, and I think the first Streets of Rage, and uh, I think working on a few, few other titles, but that sort of brought them to the attention of Sega, and they said, well, yeah, we can, can help. Uh, I think Ishiro, uh, Yuzo Kuchiro pitched the idea of working on uh, a second Streets of Rage game and Sega went for it and so Ancient worked on it and then got some help from uh, I, th I think they were sort of a four hire team of, of developers from Shout I think it was Shout DW who helped with some of the backgrounds and a few other things but yeah. and there's another credit for uh, MNM software as well yeah But sort of a, a crack team of uh, musicians, programmers, sort of a dream team of people working on this game to make it as shiny and polished as possible. And it was it was a strange, it was an interesting, wild time where uh, you know the, the Sega Genesis was right up against the Super Nintendo, and uh, you you had both companies putting out wild peripherals and, and things for their systems like the Super Nintendo had the giant Super Scope uh, and, and the Sega, Sega side this was long before the Wii had come out they put out the activator which was yeah. sort of that thing you mounted on the floor and you could act out punches and kicks using your, your hands and feet sort of motion controlled but not really well done and, and this was Streets of Rage 2 was one of the first games to highlight what that product could do so it was kind of it's kind of interesting you used that uh my friend had it and from all accounts from what he's told me it was absolute junk <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, did not work that well at all because okay. it's just like a giant uh i think it was like an octagon and so you had yeah. to sort of There's some funny videos online, people using that. <laughs> you can, I don't know if you've heard of Siskel and Ebert, but um, they they were two big-time movie critics. But then they would do, like, these Christmas specials, <laughs> and they did it where they would review video games, and neither of them were gamers. And there's footage of them using the Sega Activator, and it's the most hilarious thing I've seen on the internet, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool so um i actually have the manual here in front of me and i was going to kind of read yeah. from read from it real quick um and i'm i apologize i said ayane i meant ayano kishiro my apologies so that's ayano kishiro not ayane there you go 
<laughs> like, get it right, Aaron. Jeez. Jeez, man. I, I'm, I'm expecting you to always have the right answers because I'm not going to be able to correct you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to read the first paragraph from kind of the story. I love the manual because there's like hand-drawn graphics in here that you don't see anywhere in the game. It's like black and white MS comic strip stuff. It's very cool. If you guys haven't seen that, go check it out on a PDF or something online. But um, the headline says, This time it's personal. One year has passed since ex-peace officers Adam Hunter, Axel Stone, and Blaze Fielding have broken the syndicate's hold and destroyed its leader, the mysterious Mr. X. Peace had returned to the streets. People were moving back into the once vacant neighborhoods, and the city had returned to prosperity. On the anniversary of the syndicate's destruction, Adam, Axel, and Blaze met at their favorite night spot to commemorate the occasion and catch up on the latest news. Both Adam and Blaze had moved out of the city, Axel working as a bodyguard and Blaze teaching dance. Adam had rejoined the police force and moved into a small house on the edge of the city with his kid brother. With his kid brother, the three celebrated until late in the night and made plans to meet at the same place next year. As he was planning to check out the hotel the next day, Axel received a frantic phone call from Eddie Skate Hunter. He had arrived home from school to find the house a total ruin. He called the police department, but no way there had seen or heard from his brother since early that morning. Both Axel and Blaze rushed to Adam's home. Windows had been shattered, furniture smashed. Stuck on the remains of the splintered front door was a photo. Adam in chains, lying at the feet of the man they recognized only too well. Adam's disappearance marked the beginning of the nightmare. Criminal elements swarmed out to reclaim the streets. Games roamed the parks, and bomb-wielding bikers made the roads deadly to travel at night. Beatings and lootings took place regularly, and in broad daylight, chaos reigned in the city, far worse than ever before. And it goes on for about another page. I'm not going to read it on the show, but that's just that's just how cool this manual is. It's got literally like a full <laughs> story. It's a very complex story for yeah. a fighting game. Yeah. Exactly. Compared to, compared to Street Fighter 2, it was like... Um, Fighters are meeting and fighting. Yeah. <laughs> and Street has a very complex backstory for a fighting game. And I like how they explain the characters. I know they go into Max a little bit more later, but they actually explain what happened with Adam and they actually tell you who the skate kid is and everything. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. So let's let's get into the selectable characters because it's a little bit different than the yep. first game. So they they removed Adam as a playable character. I guess so they could make room for his younger brother and then bring in someone else as sort of a tank <laughs> character. Yeah. So they, I think they wanted to balance the game out a little more and give you a wider... And I, like for me, Adam was one of my favorite characters to play in the first game, so I was a little sad that he was mm-hmm. gone. But Skate kind of made up for it. And, and Max, like, I would only... Okay, so we should break him down. Max is like your... Ultra heavyweight. Wrestler <laughs> uh, <Rest> dude. <laughs> yeah. He's very slow. He's very slow. <laughs> He's very slow. I would only use him in two player, to be honest, because if you're trying to play this game one player and you pick Max, you're going to have a hard time because there are moments in the game where five or more enemies will gang up on you <laughs> and your reaction time has to be quick enough. And, and all I could do with Max was like, I had to spam, you know, I had to use my uh, forward dashing slide move just to clear out the enemies. Yeah. Because I didn't want to use the spinning lariat, you know, like the, the sort of Hagar style spinning <laughs> lariat. Um, but he, he's super powerful. So if you want to use him in that regard, he's great. But he's more of someone I would use as a, as a support character in a two-player game. Like have someone be really fast and, you know, knock out the guys on the edge. And then he can sort of take down 
the guys with a, a heavy life bar. I think he's the only character I, I rarely pick. Like every now and then I'll pick him just to remember how he feels. But usually when I play this game, I, I, I tend to start with Axel. And then when I take my first continue, I switch over to Blaze. And every now and then I'll get Skate. But I'd, I'd rarely pick Max. He's just not, I, I don't know. I'll, someone asked a question on the show one time. Like if you could change something about one of your favorite games, what would it be? Um, and and I, I had some crazy outlandish idea that uh, I would replace uh, Max with Hagar from Final Fight. <laughs> <laughs> I would just make Max about 5% faster. That would be it. Maybe maybe 15%. 15%. Maybe put some straps, some roller skates yeah, on yeah. him. Yeah, maybe. Skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, a skateboard like Bart in uh, The Simpsons. <laughs> I could see that. But, like, I love... Like it's great that one of his special moves is sort of a, a charging move that charges across the screen, but it just it takes off your life bar, and of course you can't use it all the time. And that's where the strategy in this game—it's interesting that where in the first game you had the three specials you could use, uh, sort of until you die and then respawn one. In this one, you can use them as much as you want as long as you have life, but it will like. So, like, there's the charging special that will take off life every time. And then there's the standing special, which will kind of do some sort of attack around you. Sort of attack a, uh, just in, in sort of a circle. But it won't actually take off life until it connects yeah, which with is nice. someone. I, which is good. Yeah, there's a lot of BMW games out there that will take off life as soon as you execute the move instead of hitting it. So, I thought that was pretty fair on this one, how you could do it all you want to. And it was nice, especially for like boss battles, if you don't have much health left, and you, and the boss doesn't either, so you can just kind of spam that for a little bit until the boss gets close. <laughs> and and if you play this game enough, and you play it over and over again, you start to know mm-hmm. where the food spawns are because you know you break open objects and you'll get what is that? An apple? An apple? The and a big apple turkey. I've ever seen. <laughs> An apple, or you can get a, a giant turkey <laughs> loaded up with GMOs and you know hormones and. Yeah. Uh, but the perfect meal for a fighter, a giant turkey. <laughs> <laughs> just a whole turkey just lying underneath a, a, a phone booth. Yeah, a trash can. It's, That's healthy. It's fate. Uh, an arcade machine. Yeah. yeah that, that says bare knuckle. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Did you want to go back but, to the other characters? I think we. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I jumped no, in. You're all right. Um, you you got to reel me in. It's late. Nick. <laughs> so we talked about Max, and we're kind of like, uh, he's, he's okay. So next up, we have, I think... Axel. Uh, Axel, yeah. Axel Rose. No, Axel. Axel is kind of our Cody Axel knockoff. Stone. Yep. Yeah, he's kind of the Cody knockoff from Final Fight. And, you know, he's got a, like, a white t-shirt, blue jeans. Uh, he, he definitely looks better than he did in the first game, I'd say. Yeah, he's kind of your average guy. Like it, it has him high on technique, but like his stamina and power and speed are all two stars. So he's kind of your your. I don't know. They have Blaze more as the average uh, stat the first stat, stat person, yeah. but I, I kind of see. I don't know. Like I, I don't know how they have Axel and Blaze with the same speed. Blaze, but, yeah, Blaze is faster, and I f- feel like she's a little more maneuverable. Yeah. You, even though the game. game has him as like two stars, both of them. But uh, <laughs> that's kind of odd. But yeah, I, I kind of consider Axel your your mid range guy. Though, with him, because the technique's a three-star, I find myself spamming his special a lot more using his you know, his special grand upper attack. 
Yeah, and, and, and in the manual they call that your blitz attack. So like like yeah, Aaron, like Aaron mentioned earlier, it's like a, a it's like a dash move. You hit your uh, directional pad twice and then hit the uh, attack button. Now that 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 attack is incredibly effective and it does not take health away, which is really cool. Yes, and it, it almost feels like you're using a special. Yeah, menu. yeah. So that's great. I would also say there's another move I think that Skate does that feels like it should be almost a special move, but it's just a regular move, which you, if you can pull it off. It's a great, great move, and it's the if you hit B and C together, he'll do a backflip kick. Yeah, that's right a, that's and it, it has really good range. That's his rear attack. So they, they like you said, they all have rear attacks, and that's kind of his yeah. It's a bit of an advantage for sure. Yeah, I feel like he he's the fastest. He probably goes down the easiest, probably the weakest. But because he's real, really nimble, really quick, he can get in and get out. Yeah, and he's really the only character that actually truly dashes on this game. Like you can you can yeah continue you can dash his. across the screen yeah. without doing a special move, which I, I found great. And and Blaze. I liked using Blaze. Blaze was pretty solid. Um, I tend to do the know. best with her. I don't. I don't know that I like. I think I like Axel the best, but for some reason, I do better with her than anybody else. One thing I, I always found satisfying in these games was that wasn't in Final Fight was that when you grapple with someone, you lock up with them, and then you can with most of the characters, you can jump over yeah. them and do like a suplex or do some special. Uh, I, I think with Max, you can do like a jumping <laughs> suplex type <laughs> move. It's great. So there's some there's some cool cool dynamics to the fighting engine and then yeah I, we already mentioned skate he's he's the other newcomer I, I think he's the more well-received newcomer and, and it's, it's sort of why Max doesn't show up in streets of rage yeah. 3 but skate does is because skates just more more memorable uh, and he's got that 90s attitude right he's got the backwards ball cap he's got the inline <laughs> skates the roller blades yeah he, he, very 90s very, very <laughs> and it was perfect too because like i think i mentioned earlier at, at that time in like 93 94 i was rollerblading like every day so so to, yeah. to, to, to see a kid who can rollerblade and and fight <laughs> i was like oh i gotta be that's this kid. i mean i yeah. i could rollerblade and fall yeah yeah <laughs> but, <laughs> plenty of skin knees but skate's got a couple of cool grapple moves i don't think well one grapple move in particular so when you like you mentioned aaron if you're if you grapple someone and you hit the jump button you kind of like do a cartwheel over him with skate if you start that cartwheel and then hit the attack button real quick he'll actually throw the person when he's at the top of that cartwheel it's a they call it a neck throw but it's a little bit of an extra move that the other yeah. other guys don't have and you can also wrap around their neck and yep. do like a piggyback ride and just start <laughs> beating on their head which i thought was great yep and then you have you said you mentioned skate, right? So I think that's all the yeah, characters. Yeah. So we we talked about all, all all four of them. So who is so remote? We'll ask you first. Who who was your favorite? Uh, who do you usually go to when you first play this game? I think I always ended up using Axel because he's a very well balanced uh, character, and uh, you can play through the game just smoothly with Axel. And um, I think the others are. Like, like for example, Max, he's too slow. Mm-hmm. He's just oh, too and, slow. Uh, <laughs> the gameplay f- feels so clumsy playing Max. Actually, he's very, he's very powerful, but for me, he's very too slow. Yeah. 
and so I ended up always using Axel. Still today, I always use Axel. He's the best. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Aaron? Who do you like? Um, so I go with the the dark horse. I go with the black sheep. I go with with Max. No, I'm just kidding. I I don't <laughs> go with Max. I I forced myself to play the game with him, and while it was an interesting challenge, <laughs> I just found that. Uh, yeah, he was just too slow. It, it, he's fine in two player. If you're playing two player, then the second player can can sort of take take out some of the enemy, enemies over here, and you can focus on your own enemies ganging up on you. Yeah. But yeah, my favorite character to play as uh, was probably um, Skate, to be honest. But what's funny is every time I played the game with my best friend Jesse. He would always pick skate first, <laughs> so I never got to play his skate. Oh man! And this is even Max. recently. I yes, pick Max or pick. Uh, I'd I'd probably pick. Uh, I don't know. I didn't pick Blaze a lot. It's not well, not because she was a girl, but um, I always gravitated towards uh, Axel. I think was my next next pick, and I, I liked cool. his special moves, also. And and Blaze has a few cool things, but she's. Uh, she's slightly average, I guess. Yeah. And I'm the same. I, I always start as Axel, and, and then for some reason, the, the minute I have to take a continue, I usually slip over to Blaze for some reason. It's like... Yeah. It's kind of my, my thing. So I can usually beat this game on a playthrough if I'm really serious about it, and I usually just take one continue, and I, I can get through it. But uh, I tried playing it a little bit ago, and I ended up losing all my continues. I, th I think I was a little distracted, a little tired, but... <laughs> It happens. I wasn't sure if you were going to make it for this recording. Oh, there. Well, I'm <laughs> drinking a huge cup of coffee right now, so we're... Oh, that works. We got a little bit longer before I crash. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, we're doing okay. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about the... Uh, I think we went through who our favorites were. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite special move out for anybody? I think the, the move Excel does is... It's my favorite special move because it doesn't take so much health bar and uh, it's very effective. And, yeah. Um, it looks pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And I like that everyone had two special moves. You had kind yeah. of a charging special and then you had uh, a stationary special. And I thought that was yeah. really neat. I think that that adds um, just some slight strategy, strategy element to a fighting game. That's very cool. Yeah, and um, just as much a fighting game needs, I think, strategy and, and brackets because uh, fighting games are not about strategy. Yeah, and that's a good <laughs> point. That's a good point too, because a lot of people consider beat 'em ups button mashers, and and you can't just go yeah. through this game mashing buttons. You've really got to you've really got to play the the screen right. You know, to try your best to keep everyone on the same side of the screen, so you're not getting bombarded. <laughs> and there is strategy there. I I I, I tend to a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, of yeah. It's not like except start, when you get to motorcycles, then it's just <laughs> chaos. All, yeah. all bets are off. It's, yeah. it's not like playing and the motorcycles are coming from both sides. It's not like playing Star well, Starcraft set strategy. This, part. this is the only part in Sweets of Rage I really hate it because um, <laughs> the, the game gameplay doesn't feel so responsive like in the rest of the game here because uh, I found it a bit hard to hit the, the motorcycles because uh, I have the feeling that um, the engine doesn't respond so well. I don't know if you feel this. Yeah, thing. the timing's a little little weird on yeah, when you... Off. Yeah. yeah. 
I think yeah. this is the only <laughs> part in the game that was a bit questionable, but um, <laughs> otherwise it's a very well, well balanced gameplay. Yeah, I would agree with that, and and I feel like they they did uh, take what worked from the first game and tried to improve upon that. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad they got rid of the jugglers, to be honest. Yeah, they oh, were gosh, my yeah. least favorite enemy type in part one. The, the guys that had like the fire torches. I felt like the only thing you could do was jump kick those guys. I, I never could beat them any other way. You couldn't just n normally punch them. Which in real life, if you punched a juggler, <laughs> I mean, I, I think they'd go down just like anyone yeah. else. But in Streets of Rage 1, you punch a juggler and you're just bun you're punching a bunch of, right. what, bricks, logs? Pretty I don't much. know. Yeah, things on fire. <laughs> and yeah, just it doesn't work. But in Streets of Rage 2, I think, who's the most frustrating? I think the there's a few bosses that remind me of, I, I, I just call them different names. Like the the guy who has a jetpack, reminds oh, me of Baxter. Um, he I think he reminds me of Baxter or something from Ninja Turtles. Yeah, Baxter Stockman from yeah. Yes, yep. because he had a jetpack. Uh, but he's one of the most annoying bosses, and and of course Mr. X, who's like the only bad guy who thought to bring a gun to a fight. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort no of like deal. Machine Gun Willie and uh, <laughs> in Double Dragon or the last yeah. boss of I, roller I, games. I, I really had a hard time with, uh, I think his name was Bad Bear. He's the uh, boxer that's wearing suspenders. Kind of, kind of. Yeah, he's got range on him. Kind of looks like Bald Bull from Punch Out. Yeah, just really nimble for a big guy. I think interesting were the 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 Dominus with the whips. In the, yeah. In the <laughs> yes. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting design choice, yeah. and uh, they had electric whips. Yeah. Thought that was really cool, and 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 the music that plays when you're fight like it's really smooth, like New Jack Swing, with uh, you know like East Coast jazz, like this really yeah. interesting vibe going on. Is that when you walk into the bar from the first level? Bar, yeah, yeah. This, yeah that's, this his con that's his contrast again between the very happy and very smooth <laughs> music and the, uh, and the and the and the girls with the electric whips. <laughs> and uh, only Streets of Rage 2. Only Streets that's of right. <laughs> yeah, only these games could pull this off. Yeah, and be okay. And there's just so many thematic. There's so many contrasts to this game, like. Oh, suddenly we're going inside like 20 million feet below a baseball stadium. Yeah. We're going to go super far down. Like, how far does this thing go? Uh, and you end up in like a stadium and then and then like going to the alien club place where you're like, are these alien? Are they are there really aliens in this game? I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, that was a very interesting plot twist, like having to deal with aliens suddenly. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's not like they come back. You don't fight the, the the final boss and then like he rips off his head and it's another alien or something. <laughs> no, it's just one of the levels. I think we spoil out something here. <laughs> I mean, Sorry if we're spoiling a, a, a almost thirty-year-old game, I'm. <laughs> well, it's uh, shoot. I'm trying to think how old it is now. Yeah, it's almost thirty years I old. Say they, they it wasn't too long ago they had a 25th anniversary for it, sir. 
<laughs> right. Yep. So if you haven't played through it yet, I, I apologize if we're if we're spoiling a beat 'em up game from <laughs> We are sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> it's not as bad as I mean, people spoiling Avengers Endgame or Game of Thrones or whatever. I guess. Yeah, I can't turn on a podcast without hearing a spoiler for Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started the series, so I'm like, off, 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 off. <laughs> turn it off. I'm only on season two, so I can't get. I can't be hearing this. I'm the only person on this planet who didn't watch Game of Thrones yet. <laughs> I felt that way until a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I was that way until about a year ago or, or two years, so I, I, I understand that. <laughs> it's pretty good. And I have friends who just like, detest it just because it, it clogs up their Facebook feeds. No, oh, yeah. And they just want to see Game of Thrones ever again. <laughs> Which, okay, I get it. But it's it's one of those things where it's just so rich in world building. Uh, I know this is a tangent, but uh, <laughs> the world building's great. The I guess uh, there's just a lot of really cool things about it that that would work really well in video game context. Yeah, Golden Axe style. Imagine, yeah, Golden Axe style, beating up a bunch of White Walkers. I, I could. <laughs> that thing. Yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> We I mean, had Dungeons and Dragons Tower over Mystaria like in the mid '90s, so hey, I could see yeah. that. Happen. Hey, hey, on a light side, I got one for you here. What is okay. uh, what's Axel's favorite part of a joke? <laughs> okay, what's Axel's favorite part of a joke? The punchline. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> had to throw in my one dad joke for the show. <laughs> oh yeah, I get it now. Punch. Punch. I get it. Get it. Sorry, Remute. We always do a uh, couple stupid jokes in the show. <laughs> but uh, I, th- something weird in this game, and I Googled it. Um, I've noticed yeah. it before, and I've, I've never understood it. Uh, there's a sign on the stage with the uh, baseball field, and it said, it's yeah. it's like Boo. Have you, have you ever seen that? <laughs> I've seen a few weird signs in this game that made me question my sanity. I... Well, I, I googled it, and the first article I read said it was a reference to, um, I guess it was a character in Dragon Ball Z named Boo, who was okay. similar to like one of the, the real big guys that you fight on that level. But then, there was another article that kind of said that can't be right, because the timeline of Streets of Rage 2 is before Dragon Ball Z, so it's like, huh, maybe, maybe Sega knew something about Dragon Ball Z. I mean, there were characters in the game that were very similar to things like, there's a boss in the game, you fight during the alien stage looks a lot like Blanca mm-hmm. from Street Fighter 2. There's another boss that looks exactly like Ultimate Warrior. That's right. From the WWF days. So, yeah. who knows? I just thought that was interesting because I saw that sign. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? So, I had a curious thing here. Like, looking at the cover art for this game, uh, I don't know if it was different in other territories, but the, the one we got in the United States is cool. But I have questions. Like <laughs> the way Blaze is kicking, and it's really hard to tell, like what she's kicking, because there's a guy like doing a backflip. It looks like uh, over her foot. But then the way that Max is positioned behind the guy, like. You can't tell where one person's legs start and the other one's ends. Like, it's just like the way they layered it is, is so funky and weird. 
if you look at it, it just it's, yeah, it, it'll catch your eye. Yeah. And also, I, th- I think we we're talking about the connection between this and Final Fight. If you ever go look at the Final Fight Two box art, they pretty much ripped off Streets of Rage One and Two, uh, both of the box arts for that game. And it's it's funny if, if you ever go look at just look up Final Fight Two box art and you'll see what I mean. There was yeah. uh, there were many weird cover arts uh, back in the days with some weird comic style that really don't fit to the game at all. <laughs> uh, remember remember Mega Man? Yes. I don't understand the choices still. <laughs> No, they were just like, you know what? Let's not show you what the game actually looks like. Um, he's a man. Uh, he has a blaster for an arm. And then go. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, I, I, I love how Contra's uh, Nintendo box art is. It's it's apparently a ripoff of uh, Predator and Rambo and Aliens all in one. <laughs> it's like, no big deal. <laughs> and, and what's funny about that one was it was originally done um for a european conversion so yeah. it, was, it was Greiser, and it was the home conversion that made it to like the amstrad cpc and the zx spectrum the commodore 64 and i think konami liked that box art so much they're like <laughs> oh we'll just slap it on the uh, the, the release and you know for for contra on the nes and there you go <laughs> But I think over there's so much, so many weird things with that game though. Like in in Europe, they had to rename it to Probotector. That's that right, was... because um, in Europe, everything <laughs> that remotely looked like human in the game had to be removed removed because of the um, of the uh, laws here. Yeah. And, um, so they they just changed it to robots. Now, why aren't they all robots in Streets of Rage 2 then? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because um, <laughs> probably they think the people in Streets of Rage 2 doesn't don't get killed. They just get they don't uh, die. They just get really big boo boos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, everything that gets shot in German games had to be removed to uh, either to mutants or to robots or to dinosaurs or to uh, yes. whatever, whatever. And is it still that? I, I know it's maybe eased up a little bit, uh, but do you still have that sort of censorship in games? I know they do that over in Australia still. Yeah, I think we still have a lot of censorship in games because um, uh, I see many games get censored here. Blood gets removed or some ragdoll behavior gets removed, especially in the 3D shooters. And, yeah. Uh, that's why I always pick the import versions. <laughs> so you can bring those in and no one's going to knock down your door and say, hey, you can't play this. Yeah. No, 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 no. We can't have import, import versions. and um, Yeah. But back then, I think it was even more extreme. Uh, let's compare it to Mortal Kombat, for example. Yeah. Uh, Mortal Kombat got... Uh, all finishing moves got removed and uh, all blood got removed. And um, so like what we had version. was a very, very budget version of Mortal Kombat that was no fun at all. And, um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, we didn't have the fun back here. I think, uh, so for us, we got Mortal Kombat. I, I, the first time I played it was Super Nintendo. 
instead of blood, it had sweat. <laughs> yeah, it's like gray sweat, uh, right? Nintendo didn't have a rating system on the Super Nintendo yet. They didn't mm-hmm. get one until Mortal Kombat 2. But for Mortal Kombat 1, it was the same same idea where it was just like there was no violence, no blood, no gore, no nothing. And then on the Sega Genesis version, Sega had their own rating system. So the game was rated MA-13, I think. But the only way you could get blood in the game was doing a special code. So, yes. <laughs> so all the violence was locked behind having to do a code on the title screen. But that that's really interesting that, uh, you know, that sort of censorship in gaming. And does that go to like movies also? Is there that same yeah. sort of yeah, I think the movies here in Germany were also notoriously butchered by the censorship, and um, especially horror movies were like, um, oh, we have some some versions of '80s horror movies here where where around 30 minutes got cut out, and uh, they're unwatchable, and um, so also horror movies had to be imported somewhere. To, to watch them properly, and um, Germany was very notorious for censorship. I think it's 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 pretty it's it's not so much like uh, in the 90s, but uh, it's still movies get censored a lot here. Yeah, and I'd imagine um, you know there, there's certain sorts of imagery like a game like Wolfenstein 3D wouldn't fly. Yeah. In yeah, Germany, yeah. like it, no, it would have to. Not. <laughs> yeah, like there's. I don't know if you've seen the Super Nintendo version where it's like they cut out all, you know, offending yeah. imagery yeah. in that game and just yeah. like everything. It's just like a made up, or like Bionic <laughs> Commando. It's just it's a it's a made up bad guy force, and yeah. they have nothing to yeah. do with Nazis. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think, I think Wolfenstein 3D just got um, allowed uncensored here last year i think oh wow it was it was uh, forbidden for for over 30 years i think and uh, the uncensored version is only allowed uh, since last year and uh, that's uh, interesting <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again for our listeners out there uh, i know I, I i jumped into another tangent but uh th- that's okay i think it's fascinating enough yeah. For you guys to hear it, I think it's really cool and interesting. Yeah, it's new, a, but, a, a, uh, a new side yeah. of new side of the story. That's good. Yeah, I'm surprised that Mr. X didn't get censored yeah. in this game because uh, he pulls out a Tommy gun or something like that and starts. <laughs> he even fires on his own bad guys. Just great. <laughs> That's gangster. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh man. So. um how about the stages? Yeah, we haven't really got into that. I, th- I thought the stages were very, uh, very diverse. Um, the one I really liked the best, I'm just going to kind of talk about my favorite, was the amusement park. Um, very kind of everywhere. You know, you go into like a pirate ship, and then of course there's all the weird, yeah. uh, all the weird uh, alien type stuff. But uh, I think what made the amusement park so great was the the, the, the the music. That song in the amusement park is my favorite Streets of Rage 2 song. Um, I, I heard a version of that. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this YouTube guy called uh, Smooth McGroove. He's all acapella, and he actually. Are you talking about Dreamer? Is yeah, yeah, the Dreamer. Yeah, the song Dreamer. Yeah, that guy Smooth McGroove actually does a uh, acapella version of that song, and it's so good. Um, he does all the beatboxing, and then yeah, has all the harmony parts. That, and very that was good. Uh, my daughter's favorite song. Oh, it's so good, so good. <laughs> I love the song, Dan. We're like beating up bad guys. Yeah, yeah. 
song's so great. Well, it's got and and you know I, I can't speak to technical terms, but there's there's a there's a melody in there that it kind of sustains like one note and then it just like pops into like this real kind of upbeat happy kind of music and then it kind of sustains and it's just it's very like kind of like it catches you in and all of a sudden it just goes into this crazy melody which i just love so i don't know i've tried covering that on like i've tried turning that into like a metal tune (laughs) i couldn't quite get there but uh it's something i'm gonna keep working at keep trying Did, did you guys have like a favorite stage or something? Uh, I, I'm right along with you. I love the amusement park. I love going into the alien area. I, I think my favorite's probably uh, the baseball diamond. And I love that you drop like, <laughs> I don't know how many stories to get into the, you know, the, the next area. Yeah. Um, and isn't that where you fight like the ultimate warrior clone? Um, yeah, once you get down to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and you get to the basement. Which is like, which is great. You just imagine like that's where all sorts of illegal underground fighting happens. Oh, yeah. Like that's where the you know, where people the only rule about Fight Club is don't talk about Fight, fight Club. Club yeah. That's that's where that happens. <laughs> well the and, and the elevator thing, so like many years ago I was just this is kinda of nerdy of me, but I was taking note of all like the uh, cliches of uh, beat em ups, I called it. And like, there's always an elevator. No matter what beat em up yes. game you play, there's and always, always an a, elevator. Like, the biggest elevator, it's <laughs> yeah. a giant fried elevator. Yep. And what's crazy, here's what I missed from the first game. In the first game, you get to the elevator and you can just straight up throw guys off the <laughs> elevator. <laughs> just fantastic. It's great. <laughs> And also, okay, so when you get to the, the baseball diamond secret elevator thing, I was <laughs> curious, are the enemies rappelling down or, or are they just dropping down out of nowhere? <laughs> That's a good exactly. point. Exactly. Like, how do they get, like, the laws of physics don't always apply in this game, which is fine by me. I still think the, the first stage is my favorite because... Um, it gets you into the game so smoothly. It's yeah. like it's almost. It feels like a tutorial almost, without being a tutorial. And, That's um, a, that was a great still, thing about those games back yeah. then. They could introduce you to the game, without ex- not overtly explaining any, anything to you or stopping the flow of the game. Yeah, yeah. It all felt so felt so naturally and step by step. You get into the game, and uh, that's why the first stage is still my favorite because you can. Even after all these years, you can revisit it and uh, still f- feel so good and um, so fun. Yeah. Good point. So, yeah, I think we've talked about this game quite a bit. Got the, the characters and talked about the graphics and the music and the stages. Um, before we go into, like, the uh, achievements we always do in this, is there anything else? Uh, oh, oh, I actually do have one thing. Um I love when these beat 'em up games or any kind of games where you rally up points give you extra lives. And um, I always kind of wondered, you know, every time I get an extra life, I'd look up at my score and it wouldn't make any sense. But uh, in the manual, it actually tells you how you get your one up. So, like, your first one up comes at 20,000 points, uh, your second one up comes at 50,000, the third at 100,000. And then the, after that, it's just every 100,000. So that's kind of like your trend of when you're going to get an extra life. So, oh, that's kind of cool. Most books don't tell you that. <laughs> this one this one did. That's handy. Yeah, it that's, is handy. It's always helpful to get extra lives. And I like that you can change how many lives you get. I like being able to start the game with five with, lives. And the options, yeah. yeah. 
Sandy. Crank up your continues. <laughs> we always do that in the Ninja Turtles game. Uh, my, the hyper, Hyperstone heist. My, my youngest always likes to crank up the uh, continues and lives before we start. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Channel for Stems, Metroid Forward Achievements. You just want to jump into these achievements? Sure. And, and you know what? I apologize. I forgot to tell Remute about our whole achievement system, which is you think about a modern game that will have these achievements or badges or whatever oh, okay. or trophies. Yeah. And so, like, we, we would just make up uh, achievements for these older games that really didn't have them and we just try to come up with something yeah. unique or silly they're they're, they're mainly silly <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh my first one um i called it uh, disney world and that's uh when you get to stage three you reveal the graphic of the palace it looks just like disney world it does <laughs> you're right i was gonna mention that um and my first one is Operation Dumbo Drop, <laughs> which is uh, defeating the, the two uh, beer-gutted uh, baseball hooligans. That's funny. Who breathe fire. Uh, let me think about it. Um, I think my achievement would have to do something with the music. And um, probably the moment when the, when the piano sound kicks in, in the in the first level of Seeds of Rage, I would call this achievement um, ecstasy pill working. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> because, uh, because this music really mimics the, the only rough, rave sound of the 90s. And uh, yeah. we all know the, the, the old cliche of, uh, of techno music linked with ecstasy and the drugs and stuff like this. And, and um, I don't want to pro drugs here or something like that I, I mean I guess I can't do my next achievement which was 420 blaze it oh well <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> uh, somehow it, it, it just sounds like ecstasy rave <laughs> yes <laughs> no you're, you're absolutely right it was so entwined the music is so entwined with the rave culture of the early 90s yeah, yeah. and yeah. The, the clubs that you know Yuzo and Motohiro were going to at that yeah, time. Yeah, I think they were clubbing pretty pretty much back then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and just bringing, like, you can compare the soundtracks to some of the sounds that were coming out back then, and, and there are similar tracks, but it was yeah. more of like, how can I take this sound and replicate it and improve it and, make, and put my own spin on it using yeah. these two sound chips, you know, the YM2612 and the... Yeah. It sounds, uh, especially the first level music, sounds a lot uh, like some early rave tracks, like like probably Inner Inner City or Bizarre Inc or stuff like that. And uh, yeah. almost every rave track of the early '90s had this piano sound and um, these uplifting melodies. Yeah, and um, so it, it it it's really uh, it's really '90s. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Did you have any more, Nick? I had one more. I yeah. Ca- I kind of gave it away with a little statement I made earlier, but I just called it a cliche, and that's uh, making it to the elevator. <laughs> oh, very nice. Um, I, I, I had one. I don't think I wrote it down, <laughs> so I'm probably going to forget it. Nah. But uh, 
I guess my achievement is uh, it is the 90s and it's time for Streets of Rage 2. And that's because it's, <laughs> instead of clocks, Sounds good. Sounds uh, good. Streets of Rage 2. And, it's, and that's picking uh, Skate because he's the most 90s thing about this game. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's ask the big question. This whole podcast is about is Streets of Rage 2 a gym? Is this game of Genesis Jim? Is it good or is it garbage? And as far as critical reception goes, if you go to moviegames.com, uh, the critical critic score is actually pretty high. It's a uh, 85 out of 100, so very cool. Um, there was a more recent review on this game. I wanted to read just a quick snippet of that. Um, actually came from IGN. And what they did, they actually reviewed the Wii version of it that came out, uh, I'm assuming, on one of the uh, Wii shops. But it says, uh, Streets of Rage 2 has been one of the most wanted titles for the Virtual Console's Genesis lineup since the launch of the Wii. It's obvious why the game is a blast. Played uh, cooperatively or just by yourself, Streets of Rage 2 is a great beat-em-up experience and one of the best Genesis titles ever made. It's a highly recommended download, and it takes, takes its place near the top of the Sega Virtual Console crop. Only the excessive explosive Gunstar Heroes outranks it at the moment. So they put it right up there with uh, Gunstar Heroes. And uh, as far as the listeners go, we'll go to the Facebook page and read what the listeners think of this game. Timmy Max says, this is a big one. Possibly the best beat-em-up of all time and a definite gem. I'm a big fan of the genre and absolutely love this one. Can't wait for this episode. Thank you, Jims. Uh, Christopher Kellogg says, my absolute favorite beat-em-up game of all time. I used to go to my friend's house to play this game before I owned a Genesis. We then would pretend to be characters in the game and play outside. I was always skate. Can't wait until the episode. Rodney Clark says, Classic Genesis Gym. Every breed him up is compared to it, so it became the standard all are judged by. Daniel Newton says, Gym. I am McGarry says, A grand up a gym. Antonio Sanchez says, Total Master Emerald Gym. This game made Streets of Rage my go to series for side scroll beat em ups. Even after years of playing Final Fight, Turtles, and Power Rangers on SNES with my cousins. When we found out this game was an add-on to our Genesis collection, we were surprised no one ever recommended it to us before to join the ranks of Sonic, Vector Man, and Golden Axe as our all-time fave Sega console games. Trevor Franklin says, Whenever me and Johnny are covering a TMNT game on Retro Bliss to make a comment that it's the best beat-em-up ever, I always throw in, well, we still need to cover Streets of Rage 2 to be sure. So, Jim. Chris Murray says, Definite of, uh, Definition of Jim was some of the best music ever. Joe Copel says, This is the one everyone's been waiting for, right? The greatest Genesis game ever made. Definitely a gym. Sean Lane says, I can't believe this wasn't done until now, actually. And Aaron Hickman says, I blame Aaron. <laughs> uh, Benson Lott says, Such a gym that even my 10-year-old daughter wants to replay it often. Uh, Sergio Padilla says, What's above Jim? <laughs> Matt Daly says, Fight and go right perfection. Jim, naturally. Tyler Jones says, roller skates to the face. Ouch. Uh, Sean Robinson says, with regards to Streets of Rage 2, I think the entire series is a shame. There, there are all of these poor homeless people in the streets, every one of them just asking for some spare change. You can tell they really need the money as many of them can't even afford proper clothes. But these terrible angry brutes walk along and all of a sudden they start assaulting them. I mean, all that all these poor hobos were going to do is hold out their hands for the chance at a small payout. But these heroes walk right into their hands like doofuses. Then they claim these poor homeless people hit them. The next thing you know, they're, they bare their knuckles, start a fight, and hospitalize all the poor street people. The police really should do something about these three violent hoodlums. Thus, I give this game the worst possible score I possibly can give. Four out of five stars. Michael Kelsovic says, honestly, it's a cough, Jim, cough. 
when it's one of the one of the, like five games that my wife enjoys playing, it has to be okay. P.S. All the other games she loves are on the NES. I swear. Nick DeMarco says best Final Fight clone ever. Come on, Nick. Eric Gerbeck says Gem. One of the few video games from that generation that everyone seems to remember if it comes up. So it must have been t must have touched a lot of people. German su German suplexing people as Blaze never gets old. Brian Bowen says it's the gemmiest of gems. All time classic gameplay and music. Stellar. As far as do I think this game's a gem? Uh, yes, it is a gem. This is honestly, and when we get to ranking in this game of all the games we played, I, oh, you, so real quick, explain because I don't know if, if yeah knows our, our yeah. ranking system. So so we, we we rank games three categories. Uh, the best rating is a gem. Yeah, gem is a gem. Okay. Uh, the second's just good, and the third is garbage. We have three G's, <laughs> <laughs> so we've been pretty generous. We don't have a lot of garbage on our. Uh, on our list and listeners out there remember genesisgemspodcast.com you can find every game we've ranked uh, that we've covered so that's how we do it here on the genesis gems but i rate this game a gem it's the highest gem um and aaron when we get to the ranking of the actual uh game you're gonna have to take over my bias because if it's just up to me this game comes number one because it's my favorite <laughs> it's my favorite sega genesis game of all time and without a doubt it's a gem it's number one on my list uh, for all the reasons we talked about i'm i'm a huge beat em up uh, game fan this one does it so smoothly. Um, like we mentioned, there is actually a little strategy. You know, most beat 'em up games don't have it, but there's a little strategy in this. But the the amount of depth within this game, uh, not just attacking and jumping, but you got the grabs and you can jump over with the grabs, and you have weapons and you have uh, special moves, not just you know your A button, but you also have kind of the double dash special move. And it's just it's so diverse and and like Remute was saying earlier, it, it holds up so well today. I can pop this game in and just have a blast like I would any modern game I, I play. So um, this is my favorite beat 'em up of all time. It's my favorite Sega Genesis game of all time. Uh, so I give this game. A gem. Awesome. Uh, I guess I guess I can go next. Uh, yeah, it's a total total gem for me. It has probably my favorite sound. It was the first game where you could take the soundtrack, rip it to an album, listen to it however you want outside of the game that I remember. Where I'd, I'd be in the car with my my best friend, and he'd pop this on, <laughs> and I knew exactly what game it was from, but it was just like. It didn't feel like we were just listening to music made for a game, like how some video game soundtracks are, where it's like, okay, this is video game music. That's, it's good. This this was something where it felt like an event. It felt like this was music I'd never heard before and sort of exposed me to a whole new world of what was possible on the Sega Genesis and, and influenced me to become a composer, a chiptune composer, electronic music composer, uh, for sure. And, you know, gameplay is top notch. It's just a solid game all the way through. And it's something that's endlessly replayable. I feel having four people to play with is great. Uh, having, uh, you know, two player mode, of course, fantastic. And just great music, great gameplay, great graphics. Um, and yeah, I mean, we didn't talk much about it, but it even has like a two-player duel mode where you can beat each other up yeah. and practice your moves, which is great. I I always felt like this mode was tacked on, like it was tacked on in Double Dragon 1 on NES. And it's I think it's part of it's just that you don't... There's a lot of moves in the game and variability, but um, there's not as many moves as like a Street Fighter game. Nah. 
to really make the dual mode all that interesting to me. But it's neat that they included it. But yeah, overall, it's it's a gem. It's one of my favorite Sega Genesis games, uh, easily in my top five. I don't know if it's my number one game. I might have <laughs> one or one or two games that edge it out. Um, if if we look over at our rating over here, if we look like our first five games, we've got Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog two at the very top, followed by Gunstar Heroes. I think Sonic one, NBA Jam, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Um, I go back and forth whether it could be above Gunstar Heroes or not. As long and, as as long as it's in the top five, I'm not going to argue with you. Like I said, yeah. if, if it's up to me, it's one, but I can't let my bias <laughs> take over. I, I would either put it in two or three. I don't know if I would put it above Gunstar Heroes for me. Um, but I, I think as if I'm looking at a game that anyone can get into, I think it's easier for people to, to like pick up and play and and get through the whole game than than Gunstar Heroes is, but it's not as technically impressive or anything. But as as the overall package, uh, I don't mind. I'll, I'll I'll put it in in the two slot. That's fine. Are you sure? I'll put it right right below. I know if I change it, um, it's definitely <laughs> above Sonic the Hedgehog one for yes, me. Yes. Yes. Um, no, you know what? <laughs> Would you? As Would long you be as long putting it at three, as long as you keep it in the top five, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm going to put it uh, number three, right below Gunstar Heroes for me. Okay. I think okay. it's right. It's it's so close for me, but I think Gunstar Heroes edges it out slightly. Okay, and and remute. Uh, what's your what's your rating? We want to make sure we get that on the show too. <laughs> I think it's garbage. No. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Complete Stop the rubbish. Sh- Stop the show. <laughs> I, think it's, it's, I think no no further discussion is needed here. Everything was said. It's an absolute gem. And uh, still, I think it is definitely my favorite um, Mega Drive game. I'm a huge uh, beat'em up fan, so, um, so I put it in, at my fir- first place. Of course, uh, stuff like Gunstar Heroes is also amongst my favorites, yeah. and, um, especially all the games by Treasure. And yeah. I think uh, Dynamite Heady is also amongst my <laughs> oh, favorites. Oh, that's so, so underrated. Such yeah. A cool game. yeah, but uh, for me as a beat 'em up fan, I would put Streets of Rage 2 on my top top one. Awesome, yeah. awesome. I think that does. I think we just laid the gavel down. We're going to call Streets of Rage 2 a gym. So very cool. So, yeah, listeners, if you haven't seen our ranking list, go to genesisgymspodcast.com, uh, click on ranking. You'll get to see how we ranked all the games we covered. We try to keep that up to date. Um, I usually edit it live on the show and then post it whenever we release the episode. So check that out. We even have a nice pie chart in there. I'm, I'm a I'm a logistics supply chain guy, so I like all my pretty charts. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a chart out there that shows the, the gym, the good, the garbage ratio. So cool. All right, so... We'll have to wrap this show up. Uh, Remute, if you don't care to kind of give a little blurb about where people can find you, we're going to put all those in the show notes as well. But we like to end the show anytime we have a guest. Make sure you have plenty of spotlight and uh, can uh, everyone can sh- can go out there and find you on the web somewhere. Okay. Okay. So you can find me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. And you can find me on Bandcamp, of course, remute.bandcamp.com. There you can find my new album and also my new single. And yeah. Thanks for having me in the show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we uh, had a ton of fun having you on yeah. here. And uh, 
I thought I thought it was just like a cool coincidence that Streets of Rage 2 is your favorite game. I'm like, okay, now, you know, because you got this album that just came out that just got released and you're, you had this influence from like Yuzo Koshiro and, the, and just the music from this game. I thought it was just like perfect for us to get you on this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I've been wanting to cover Streets of Rage 2 since we launched this podcast <laughs> what, <laughs> seven or eight years ago, so... This is kind of this is kind of, one of my, definitely one of my favorite episodes. Great, great, great guests, What's great the game. The Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No Absolutely. problem. Thank you. All right. So, guys, stay tuned for more Genesis Gems as we uh, continue this podcast. Make sure to check out the Bit Brothers Network and join that as well. So, we really appreciate all the support. And with that, we will catch you guys later. Hey, you guys. Bye.